Hello, everyone. Hey, welcome back to Working Sass. We're a uh, podcast about Canadian politics from a snarky, entitled, millennial socialist perspective. That's right. Uh, we are uh, barely educated, uh, possibly slightly researched. Um, we are thoroughly biased. Thoroughly biased. Yeah, um, that's right. But uh, hearts are in the right place. We care about this stuff. Care about this stuff. Uh-huh. Care about you guys, yeah. our faithful listeners. So welcome, everybody. I'm, uh, I'm François. Frank. I'm uh, Sasha. You can find us on the Twitter at Lefty Sancho. And Kramer versus Kramer. Uh, so make sure to sign up for all the uh, hot takes, uh, the hottest takes that you will ever find on the internet. Don't quote me on that. Uh, and yeah, we're <laughs> as back. As hot as uh, it gets. We're back for another uh, another episode of Great Stuff. We're going to do a little uh, rundown of the news this week. Yeah, yeah. As... just going to catch up a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been, uh, you know, uh, talking a, a bit more about, about bigger topics, about topics outside of Canada. And uh, yeah, we've... I thought that we'd look into uh, a few things to, today. Uh, the uh, conservative race is uh, shaping up a little bit, and yeah. we got uh, the uh, uh, you know the 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 final roster of yeah. contenders. Final lineup they're, they're is here, up. so we'll just we'll uh, go through we'll, that, uh, and then we'll talk a bit more. Just give a little updates about uh, the uh, the pipelines. Uh, Various pipeline situations. Yeah, you know, we got a lot of stuff going on in this country. A lot of uh, stuff in the ground that we want to dig out, and uh, so we can bathe in money. Um, <laughs> that's generally how it goes. Right? So, isn't that the point? <laughs> I think that's the, that is the point of Canada. Yeah. Yes, yes. I think that's in the Constitution. Is Article One is if we're not uh, <laughs> drowning in money, what's the point? That's true. Yeah. Right. Well, it is kind of funny. I was listening to um, the Canada Land podcast this morning, which is uh-huh. another great show. Um, and uh, Jesse was going on and was saying that, you know, uh, we are, you know, the, the entire country was essentially founded so that British people could make nice hats, you know. <laughs> so, you know, resource extraction uh, and uh, destruction of natural habitats we, is, is uh, yeah. the Canadian way. The, That's what we do. The, the, the roots are deep. <laughs> the roots are very deep, pretty uh. much as deep as the oil <laughs> is in the ground. Um, so, so yeah. speaking of, uh, of raking in the money... Um, <laughs> Well, let's talk about about the conservatives a little bit. Yeah, as you uh, all know, uh, the conservatives, they uh, their last leader, Simple Andrew, yeah, uh, didn't really work out for him. I think uh, he was he was a favorite of uh, of the base of the, of the party establishment, uh, but unfortunately, wasn't really able to. Or fortunately, I think for us. Um, wasn't really able to get his uh, his message across in the last election. Can can you enlighten me a little bit, like how exactly he managed to become leader? Because it, it wasn't it's not through a popular vote, right? Like they don't, they don't uh, decide. That would be too is. easy. You no, know, yeah? it, it's through like ranked ballots, I believe, okay. um, and it goes you know multiple rounds until you have somebody who has fifty percent plus vote on the support. So uh, Andrew Scheer became leader. Uh, Maxime Bernier was actually polling very high in the last mm-hmm. leadership race, and he not like he really watered down his message. Like he was. Getting a lot of support within the party with saying the same shit that he's been saying now as leader of uh, the the PP party. The P- <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, Andrew Scheer. So essentially, the, the the issue that kind of broke it for Maxime Bernier was that he wanted to uh, stop all uh, government control of, of dairy prices, like the dairy subsidies that we have, um, especially in Quebec. That's like a very big issue for yeah. farmers. Um, and Andrew Scheer said that he would not, you know, touch that. Um, well, I don't remember what it's called. It's like gestion de l'offre in French. I don't remember okay. what you call it in English, but uh, uh, supply management. There you go. Okay. Yeah. So, so uh, Andrew Shear said that he was going to keep supply management, whereas Maxime Bernier said that he was against it because it's you know the government interfering in the free market. 
Um, and essentially the issue in Canada, it, if we can just go on this little tangent quickly for the, with the dairy industry, is that the, the risk that we run is if we don't um, control uh, the, the, the supply of, of dairy products in Canada, the risk is that um, industrial dairy farms from America will send their milk to Canada and kind of drive prices down. Uh-huh, yeah. um, since the dairy industry in Canada is still very... Uh, concentrated in the hands of of small family-owned farms who are uh, you know regrouped and in, in, they're kind of grouped up into co-ops. So yeah. AgroPure is one of the biggest ones in Quebec. It's a cooperative of small family farms who kind of put all their milk together and then market it and and distribute it. Um, so that's kind of the risk is uh, if if we get rid of supply management, uh, the Americans could flood our market with very cheap milk, thus driving down the prices down uh, and making it a lot more difficult for our family farms to survive. So. Um, you know, shouts to Andrew uh, for doing that, but uh, everything else he did was pretty much terrible. So um, he did step down after the last uh, after the last election. I don't think anyone told him that he wasn't leader anymore, since he has no, been coming still, out in he, the media. He's still uh, piping up as very a, a, strong every opportunity he has to say something uh, completely idiotic. idiotic. Yeah, um, but it, it's it's pretty interesting to me to to look into uh, who's uh, who's going to be leading. I think that they they've had a bit of a of an uh, identity crisis yeah. in the last uh, yeah, last decade. You know, since uh, their dear leader uh, left them, um, Harper was a, like a pretty polarizing figure. I think he was pretty he was much clearer about who he was mm-hmm. and what the party was yeah. under him. Um, but you know, lest we forget, they never really got more than what thirty eight percent was the highest like election yeah, when they got a, a majority. Result. Yeah. Which is just like that's the way the, the uh, Canadian uh, uh, government, the, the British parliamentary system works. You can win an election with all, all you need to do is get 38% of the vote. Yeah. The difference is most people that didn't vote for him hated him, mm-hmm. as opposed to the liberals, where, um, you know, even uh, the, the radical lefties like, uh, uh, like the, you know, the, your, yours truly on this podcast, we are certainly no fan, no fan of Trudeau, but they're still like, some wiggle room to work with him yeah. and some pressure to apply in the government to get something done. Yeah. Um, so the whole left is like kind of okay with the government there, but the conservative is just like, they're really out of sync with the rest of the population. Well, I think so. Yeah, at least gestures towards it's, the right values. Yeah. And the issue I think with the conservatives is after 10 years of Harper, um, you know, Justin Trudeau came in and won a big majority. Like he yeah. was, he was really, um, able to to tap into that frustration that that people had with the conservative government um by i and i think he did it mostly on values he yeah he, absolutely he, he yeah. managed to spread a message that uh he was of the same generation and kind of thought like we did and and saw the world the way we did he certainly didn't govern that way but it's no. a separate issue no just purely on on uh like from an electoral perspective like i think the republicans in the states when they were faced with the reality of a changing electorate of like not just demographics changing, but just like values in the country changing, they decided to change the electorate. They, yeah. they decided to literally screw with the system through gerrymandering, through voter suppression to pick their voters to stay in power and actually double down on their garbage values. Yeah, absolutely. And the conservatives are already living in a kind of rigged system that by default benefits them because they yeah. are popular in in Alberta and northern Quebec, like all these places that have like are way overrepresented. Yeah. 
So the question is like, like, where do they go from here? Do they move a little bit more to the center? Well, I, and I think this is kind of what's interesting is um, the party itself is pretty split on that. Yeah. Um, and you're really starting to see, like we've talked about this on the show before, like we're really starting to see the old divisions of conservatives, uh, conservatives in Canada is that, you know, you have uh, what we call the Red Tories, which are like these Eastern, like the Maritimes, Toronto, uh, to a certain extent, Montreal, even though it's a lot less. Um, but these kind of, you know, socially progressive but fiscally conservative people, which is like, who, which which essentially means that they're, you know, they're fiscal conservatives who don't hate abortion or openly hate gay people, pretty yeah, much. But, That's about all the, the the differences. Yeah, but 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 let's just state it right now, like the idea of a and like the Economist like brands itself like that, like very proudly as uh, as socially progressive and fiscally conservative, it's fucking horseshit. Oh, no, it's a lot. Like, like, like it's, it's absolutely bullshit. If you for care sure. about about being socially progressive, then you would understand that you need to have progressive policies and that means spending more. Anyways, yeah. we can do a whole episode. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, but but yeah, I, they I at think least so present themselves. We, like they present themselves sure. like that. Sure. Um, and they're the ones, um, kind of Peter McKay is in the okay. lead yeah. or is kind of their, their leader since yeah. he was, you know, um, the last leader of the progressive conservative party when that party still existed before they merged with the alliance to create the uh, current conservative party. Uh, whereas out west, it's very much like Reform Party, uh, Canadian Alliance support, um, which is just, you know, straight up right wing. So including, you know, social conservatism. Um, and that's kind of the division that you're seeing in the party now. And I think there is a certain part of the party that says, well, we need to move to the center. You know, like uh, a prime minister like Brian Mulroney certainly was no fan of unions or no fan of, of working people. But wasn't you know outright he was a bigoted of, uh, in terms of I, I you know he was a fan of brown envelopes is my understanding. he was a fan of brown envelopes that's yeah. a classic conservative uh, that's one thing they can all agree on yeah <laughs> um but you know he was able to to be prime minister of canada for quite a long time and i don't think he was outright you know openly bigoted towards uh indigenous people or anyone else he was kind of this great you know centrist center-right kind of uh figure um so i think there is a portion of the conservative party that wants something like that like a, a prime minister that could have or a prime ministerial candidate who could have support across the country um but i think the base of the conservative party which is really out west right now they don't want that they want somebody who's going to be like jason kenny but more right wing yeah you know so they're I mean? they're stuck in the middle uh between risk like it's kind of Trudeau's position on pipelines that yeah. they're trying to make everybody happy but risk alienating everybody because yeah. if they don't move uh, if they try to move a bit more to the center, they like they would have to move significantly more to the center in terms of environmental policy. Yeah, and like I think still a lot of uh, a lot of social issues. Absolutely. Uh, to try to get any liberal vote at all, and then they just risk depressing the uh, the turnout of their base. Yeah, um, and I mean I think we saw in the last election like. <clears throat> There was a lot of anger towards Justin Trudeau. There's, you know, a lot of disillusioned uh, people who voted for him, thinking that there would be some radical change that never happened. I think a lot of people have issues with his his capacity as a leader. So, you know, Justin Trudeau, I think, is a great campaigner, but not a very good leader. He's not mm -hmm. a very good politician. Um, I think he makes very questionable decisions, or he has made very questionable decisions in office on on a lot of things. Um, you know, the, the the last election was kind of there for the taking for the for the conservatives, and they weren't able to get it together. So, 
you know, if they want to keep fighting amongst themselves and making a contest of who's the most right wing while never taking power ever again, I'm totally fine with that. Um, but I think there are people in the party who realize that this is an issue and there's some people who just don't, you know, refuse to see it and want to see the party go even further to the right. Mm-hmm. All right, so you want to get into the, the list here? Let's, Let's just uh, do a little rundown Basically here of the, the, of the top stars. Yeah, the party has, has put out this list that these are the official ones. They're going to to uh, fight amongst each other, I think, uh, in a Thunderdome. Yes, yes, yeah, that is the, the preferred one standing, form of combat. Uh, gets the crown. Yeah. Uh, so first up, we got Marilyn Gladue. Marilyn. Yeah, she is a two-time conservative MP from Ontario. Uh, she was elected in 2015. She's a chemical engineer. She, uh, all, all I can see here is that she is a uh, critic of the uh, healthcare system. I assume it's not in the right direction. And that she has concerns about the rollout of marijuana legaliz- legalization. Mm. Once again, I would just assume that that is not in the right direction. She's probably concerned that uh, it's too available or too, you know, um, in sort of in that vein, not that uh, the market has already formed around like giant conglomerates no. that are going to fill uh, a cannabis with chemicals and uh, jack up the price and all that. No, I think she has an issue with people smoking marijuana in the first place uh, yeah. and is against that. So she's afraid of a more reefer madness status. Yeah, well, you know what the reefer than, does to the kids. More than uh, oligarchy, uh, oligarchy in the cannabis industry. Yeah. So her vision. Uh, is Canadian policy rooted in a better balance of fiscal common sense and social compassion? What does that mean? It means uh, straight up nothing. Yeah, I, I believe. <laughs> I mean, let's be, first of all, we can unpack this a little bit. I think uh, fiscal common sense always means privatization, ta- like cutting taxes, yeah. less government spending. Yeah, every single time that somebody will use yeah, this of kind of trope of. Fiscal common sense. I mean, oh well, well, it's just common sense. Would you, would you max out your credit card if you had one? Uh, yeah, it's common sense. And you're like, yeah, but that's not how government works. But well, you anyways. know, don't you think that people have been uh, living in luxury for too long with all of their like free uh, operations and social compassion? Also, just sounds to me like charity. Like, oh, uh, yeah. you know what I mean? Well, social compassion. So like, we'll have uh, we'll make like a, a Christian homeless shelter, but as long as they <laughs> pray, like recite their prayers, they can get food, kind of thing. And they have to prove they. Haven't ingested a, a like a alcohol in seven years. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so this is speculation and it's parody. Yeah. Uh, next up, we've got Jim Carahalios, uh, who is uh, an Ontario lawyer who's married to an uh, Ontario Progressive Conservative mm. um, MPP, uh, Belinda Carahalios. So, so he's a he's a proud member of the Ford Nation. Then it's well, it's something like that. He's uh, advocated for the elimination of carbon taxes. Uh, and uh, he's suing the government, uh, I think I've read. So this is the kind of floodgate that I think Trump go- getting into office uh, opened, that mm-hmm. now anybody wants to be prime minister and everybody wants to be uh, top dog and uh, and get the job and kind of things they can do it. Um, in this case, like like the carbon taxes being, being your issue, the way that it is is infuriating because... Uh, like obviously the carbon tax is like it's not even a half measure it's it's not even a quarter measure it's nothing it's like yeah like just a slight market tweak to try to uh, uh, uh mitigate the disastrous impact like it's not at all addressing the, the no absolutely crisis. Not, no but that's... and to be uh trying to constantly re relitigating it 
uh, is infuriating unless you are addressing it from well, a gilet jaune perspective, which is like if he was advocating for, well, clearly not. The burden is falling on on workers. Not If you're saying consumers, it's also problematic. But if you're saying workers are paying the brunt of this, we should be replacing the carbon tax with uh breaking up like these pipeline projects yeah. and shifting like that would be different. well there's, there's a couple of things like yeah first of all um as far as i know in the canadian system the carbon tax you get a carbon tax refund uh as a consumer yeah. to ensure that it's really the companies paying for it more, more so than somebody who's just going to fill up their um their their car um and yeah and it's it's one thing you know the the entire conservative mes- uh, message is based on hating the carbon tax but they don't have any other you know proposals yeah. if you can yeah. come up with something better uh i'm op- open to it i don't think people on the left are huge fans of the carbon tax either for the reasons we've just mentioned but if you don't have another proposal uh it's very easy to uh, to criticize but not to actually suggest any other option to uh to, to fight climate change yeah because it's getting harder and harder to to denial right to just do the the uh, uh just bury your head in the sand and just pretend it doesn't exist and you can keep getting it out because the consensus is just overwhelming like, yeah. like people know when people are feeling the effects and now it yeah. says here also that he's received the backing of the social conservative group campaign life coalition yeah, which to my great. knowledge <laughs> is a pro-life organization yeah, pro-life can... meaning anti-abortion once you're born you can go fuck yourself oh yeah, yeah uh, that's but pro- that's anti-abortion yeah. organization yeah. yeah so that's also very reassuring to see that well, they're, uh, they're picking candidates already in the uh, conservative leadership race this seems to be a bit of a of a theme in all these candidates that uh, same-sex marriage and abortion is getting relitigated yeah i, I i'm kind Which, of uh kind of to my knowledge is the reason why they lost the election, election is because andrew Shear's position own personal yeah. views on uh gay marriage and uh and abortion were kind of flaky like he wasn't very clear whether or not he was against it or he was saying well i'm personally against it but i would never vote against it whatever um and they still don't seem to have learned the lesson of uh last year's election that that's not going to, it might resonate in rural Alberta, but it's not going to resonate in the GTA where you need to win seats. It's not going to resonate um, in, in BC. It's not going to resonate in like any places where you really need to be getting a lot of seats to, um, to win an election. So, well, uh, you know, be a, you can be reassured. Our next uh, candidate is also backed by the Campaign Life Coalition nice. and uh, also prominent Christian activists, which is, you know, just a little, a uh, little, Oh my little, god! L- little side She's note: She's got the support of a Christian activist who called her a breath of fresh air yeah. as a woman who is against same-sex marriage yes, and yes. abortion. Jesus. I mean, like just like the idea of Christian activists, like not being. If you look at, well, we can get into theology a little bit. Uh, if you'll indulge me, but looking at like what's in the Bible, it's a socialist text. Yeah, it is a text that's just advocating it in a like not necessarily with a well, political framing, but the message of empathy is pretty it much depends, social. And it it kind right? of depends how you read it, right? I'm painting so with I think, a big brush. I think but, you can interpret it, like interpreting the teachings of Jesus in one way is, is you know, very uh, socially minded and very much, you know, uh, I, I read somewhere on Twitter the other day that like Jesus wouldn't be going to the national prayer breakfast if he was alive. He would be going to see the children in cages and comforting them, you know? Yeah. And that's like 100%. Um, I think the problems with evangelicals and these people seem to be very evangelical, Christian activists, uh, yeah. very evangelically minded, is that they will literally interpret the text. So whenever there's you know uh, um, 
a mention of you know shooting down someone in spite or talking about sodomites and whatever these are all things that they take literally like they think yes. it's not it's not a, a text to inspire the, yeah, your life or to, to kind of are, transmit values uh -huh. to you it's like a step-by-step -step, uh, instructional guide onto how to you know plan the world yeah and uh and being a christian a christian activist means to try to force your worldview on yes, everybody absolutely. else around you who doesn't the other thing you. is also so. and i don't know this would this could be interesting to see is that you know quebec as we know is on a very on a on a, a kind of path of of aggressive what they call secularism which i think everyone on the left sees as just being an excuse to discriminate against uh, religious minorities but you know, there is kind of this feeling, and especially since the Quebec's history with the Catholic Church being so powerful for so long, um, I'm not sure if even in rural Quebec, these kinds of things would, would track. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not yeah. sure if you come to rural Quebec and say, well, I'm a Christian activist and I'm anti-abortion and I'm anti-gay marriage. I don't think that that would... Yeah, but because we have a very complicated history with the, with the Catholic Church yeah. in Quebec. And people do not, like, even the older generation does isn't necessarily fond of of uh of like religious institutions no it's a very yeah it, it's not a a one-to-one -one, um a transposition of the way uh, it exists in the, in the u.s no where you can really like they're really able to just like like blog their nose and like look the other way when uh trump is doing all kinds of, of atrocities and and just because it maps with a certain plan that they have and I just think it's more confused. I think you're right. Uh, let's just note this is important. It's absolutely not irrelevant. But uh, uh, Miss Lewis is a black woman from uh, from Jamaica, and hey, that's uh, that's wonderful. And uh, just in itself, just for representation, it is great. Uh, that does not necessarily mean that we stand for any of her <laughs> politics uh, whatsoever. So you know, we should always judge uh, candidates for that. Mm -hmm. All right. Next up, we got uh, a pretty, a pretty. Derek Slime. Oh, S Sloan. Yeah, Derek Sleazy. Derek no. Sleaze. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, he's a rookie, a rookie uh, Ontario Conservative MP, um, elected in 2019, and oh. he thinks it's already time for a promotion. Absolutely qualified. He's been in, in in the office for about six months now. I think yeah. that qualifies him to run the country. I don't well, know about you. Well, the way that uh, that Andrew went, I think he seems uh, he couldn't do much worse. That's true. Um, but uh, let's see here. He thinks the cause of sexual orientation is scientifically unclear, oh. which is great to know that young people also uh, can be bigots and and monsters yeah. uh, like that. Yeah, so it's, it's great. Yeah. Once again, uh, oh, uh, also backed by the Campaign Life Coalition. So it's great to see that uh, they seem to have. There seems to be a group in power in the conservative uh, organization that really pushes hard for these candidates that hold these really unpopular views. And yeah. I think that's a great strategy that they should stick with because they can never win an election again. Yeah. So good for them. Uh, but beyond that, he seems to be a pretty bland guy. Oh, God. He thinks, so he thinks apparently that the country is, quote, under siege by a tide of political correctness that seeks to destroy Canada, unquote, and vows to take a stand for Canada against radical progressivism. Yeah, I, I think he's just a, a, a plant. Oh, maybe he could be like Jordan Peterson's secret son. Oh, he kind of looks like him. Kind of yeah. looks right. like him. Yeah. Ah. Hmm. Well, we'll have to investigate. So, uh, I mean, what I've seen so far from like the first three <laughs> candidates we've gone through is, as we we're saying, like it seems to be a contest of who's most socially conservative. So, you know, on the one hand, you're like, good for you for standing up for your values. 
Uh, on the other hand, uh, if you, this is your campaign, if this is your platform, you're going to keep losing elections. So, yeah. you know. Next up, we got Rick Peterson, who's a uh, businessman from Alberta. You know, um, maybe these people don't know, but uh, government is not a business. The no, purpose of government can't be run the same is way, not no. to generate a profit. Uh, it is a social progress that uh, can and should run. Uh, well, I mean, technically, it always does run at, at, a, at a cost. Yeah. Right? It's not something that should generate profit. And this uh, idea that, uh, uh, once again, Trump kind of just like like blew in people's mind is uh, infuriating. Um, he, let's see, he uh, he is apparently bilingual, allegedly. And, and is, uh, quote, <laughs> open, open to, to diversity. diversity <laughs> which, uh, is, I guess, is, is a positive step. Um, but he's uh, proposing, for example, a 15% flat personal income tax and rolling back Which, liberal gun laws. So I guess you could call him the libertarian candidate of the bunch. Yeah, because uh, it certainly doesn't seem like a good business move to just immediately bankrupt government by defunding all of it, right? Uh, and putting the tax burden on, on the workers, because that's what a flat uh, tax uh, would do. Yeah. Right? Like, that's what it would do. It, it would just shift the burden from the wealthy and just kind of exempt them all. And then give the the workers a perceived uh, yeah. a tax break. Although in reality, the uh, the accessibility of the services would just no, dis- exactly. disappear yeah. completely. So he's got apparently a bold vision for uh, tax reform and a climate plan. Um, I think he can keep his bold vision to himself. Yeah, uh, you know. And uh, let's move on. Now, we have two uh, main front runners, I would say. So the other ones are, are part of the race, and we'll yeah. see how, how things is, shape up. This um, is the one that really scares but me. But there are two uh, main front runners, Aaron yeah. O'Toole and Peter McKay. Aaron O'Toole is a three-time conservative MP from Ontario and a former um, cabinet minister under Stephen Harper. Uh, he was in the military before joining politics and has worked as a lawyer. Um, and he has uh, ran for uh, for leadership um, before, so he ran for leadership in 2017. Um, and he, so he's he's the self described true blue candidate. Yeah. Um, so this one seems to me like the uh, like do you, do you think he'd be the uh, not necessarily the Doug Ford? Like he's not quite as uh, boorish and as. Uh, it's something, but he he's trying to run to like trigger the libs. Yeah, like no, that's absolutely what it is. It's like triggering the libs. Like he's putting videos about defunding the CBC, which is like one thing that the the conservatives love to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, it is kind of scary because he is he does have you know a lot of parliamentary uh, experience. He has um, uh, experience as a cabinet minister. Uh, I think he knows very well what he's doing. Um, he from from what I've seen like on his social media and stuff, it just seems to be kind of. Uh, rehashing talking points from Ontario Proud and Alberta Proud kind of thing. So this kind of, you know, sh- uh, shareable uh, viral right-wing content, um, that, that's kind of how he's trying to, to gain popularity. Yeah. Um, but I, as a thing, like, you know, we keep coming back to this. Like, I don't think social conservatives can, uh, can win an election anymore. Um, especially not when you have a very strong and united liberal party to go up against. Um, so, you know, it, it remains to be seen, but, um, he, up until now, I haven't seen anyone of these candidates say, listen, we lost in 2019. Why did we lose? And we need to understand the reasons why we lost and change so that we can not lose anymore. 
I think everyone seems to be burying their heads deeper into the sand, saying, yeah. "Well, the reason we lost is because uh, we weren't clear how much we hate gay marriage enough." Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, which to me is just not a, a winning electoral strategy. And uh, that's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Finally, the um, the big dog, the uh, the big dog, the one who's uh, just waiting to be coronated. I think the uh, presumptive. Uh, yeah, so I think far. you could say that. Uh, is it uh, Peter Mackay? Peter Mackay. Yeah, I, re I refuse. I mean, like in Montreal, that's just how we say this uh, this word, so uh, this name. So just uh, deal with it. All right. Peter yeah, Mackay. I'm, I'm down with that. Uh, he's he's kind of a big dog from the Harper days. Well, right? he was so he was the last leader of the Progressive Conservative Party uh, before it merged. So he uh, Stephen Harper was the leader of the Alliance, um, and they merged the two parties together to kind of unite the right. Um, so Mackay. Mackay, pardon me. Yeah. I, I think he's <laughs> um, probably, if you could say, the most socially liberal of the group. Um, I don't think he is as you know openly bigoted as the other ones are. Like he doesn't think uh, uh, gay people should go to jail. He thinks they should just like pay more in taxes or something. Yeah, to be... well, actually, no, he would. He, no. He, he, I don't think he believes in in high taxes for anyone. But you get you get the gist. It's, well, it's I also worked uh, around Parliament Hill in a restaurant that uh, was frequently um, patronized by by members of the Conservative cabinet. And let's just say there was a lot of rumors around John Baird. Oh, yeah, John Baird, for sure. Well, John Baird is not running for the leadership race. He has too no. much baggage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but uh, that whole crew, there was a, a lot of chatter. Mm, uh -huh. I see, I see. Um, in terms of policies, I don't know if... Um, I don't think I don't know if if uh, Peter McKay has actually um, brought out any uh, any verified policies yet or any policy propositions. Um, I think he's definitely he definitely has a lot of connections in Eastern Canada, which would be very good for the party. Yeah. Uh, more so, like he has appeal in the Maritimes, and he had, would have more appeal in Ontario, I think, than than some of the other candidates. Um, yeah, that's not about him. Um, so I think I, th I think as you said, you know, Peter McKay could be the front runner. Um, we can we can circle back and talk about this more when uh, when we've had a couple of debates when we're when their policy positions get a little bit clearer we can go through them point by point and destroy them. Um, yeah, it it doesn't seem like it's going to shape up and be uh, the the fiery kind of uh, like last time they looked like they were trying to do the Trump Republican debates. Right? Yeah, like they were, and even O'Toole doesn't seem like he's as well. Maybe that's bad for us. He doesn't seem as stupid as Bernie. No, and and as like bombastic, like maybe he's a bit more savvy, um, you know. But uh, uh, hopefully, we can uh, report back in uh, in a few weeks and uh, report that they have crashed and burned. Yeah. So okay, uh, let's move on to uh, our other uh, news topic. Uh, we want to check back in on a, a few updates with uh, the pipelines with Wetsuwetan and uh, Tianinagamostu. Um, so basically, this is uh, only tangentially related. I will uh, happily see the conspiracy theory, but that they are more intimately related. But uh, you know, this is just speculation on my part. Uh, but a massive project in northern Alberta, uh, a new oil sand mine, uh, Tech Frontier, that was waiting to be approved, has been fully canceled. Right? Uh, this was a massive project worth twenty uh, billion dollars. Um, and uh, yeah, they just backed out of it and they just uh, pulled the plug. 
Now, uh, this was waiting. Uh, it was pending approval from the federal government. Yeah. Uh, basically, they had promised, uh, let's see here, 7,000 short-term jobs, you know, which doesn't really mean anything. It means you get yeah. 7,000 people over for six months or a year. And then 2,500 permanent operating jobs. Um, a, uh, it was going to cost around $20 billion. Uh, but then, you know, we were going to bring in a whopping $70 billion, uh, of, of government revenue. I mean, uh, and if you, can, if you can recall as well, in the, in the, the, the days and weeks leading up to uh, the approval date, or the date where it was, uh, supposed to, we're supposed to get a final yeah. uh, call from the federal government, um, Jason Kenney um, and all the Alberta conservatives were going around saying, well, if it's not approved, uh, you know, that would be enough reason for Alberta to separate. So um, this, is a, this is a project <laughs> that, that the conservative... Uh, I've, that the conservative establishment uh, and especially out west were really really pushing for as okay we need this we need this uh i mean to one i find it funny how they're you know they, we keep they, they're going to keep piling it on and the moment you know the, the the more that we give them in terms of concessions the more they're going to ask for so saying you know before it was trans mountain we need to build trans mountain yeah. now trans mountain is being built okay now we need to build this coastal gas link now that's being built okay now we need to get this tech so it's never going to stop like we're seeing a, a you know crazy expansion of of um, fossil fuel projects in yeah. this country when we should really be you know planning to wind down the industry uh, and find other ways of, of producing energy uh, and other ways of, of finding jobs that for these people yes. who work in these industries. Absolutely, absolutely. That's what we talk about when we, we talk about a, a Green New Deal or a Red Deal. Um, but like you couldn't have a clearer example of uh, Trudeau's uh, hypocrisy that you know all of his talk of um, you know phasing out fossil fuels and, and aiming for a, a zero uh, you know. Um, uh, zero emissions and all that. Um, the logic, the the kind of twisted uh, mental gymnastics that he was doing about, well, we're only building the pipelines to make sure like the tar sands are already, you know, they're already being extracted. So we yeah. might as well get them out efficiently and cleanly with a pipeline so that we can make money. Well, but at the end of the but day, then if you're approving a new project, it. if yeah. you're approving a new project that was going to be bigger than anything that's come before. You know, like, we're just calling you on your bullshit. You never meant a fucking word of it. Yeah. You know, in this case, uh, the, they cite environmental, uh, they, like, there's a lot of talk of, like, a vocal minority of, mm -hmm. of uh, environmental activists that were complaining too hard. And uh, they're really trying to, to play the violin and, and, you know, play the oppressed. Uh, you know, they're just a good businessman trying to provide Alberta with jobs and economic opportunity and uh, this kind of rhetoric. And it's it's infuriating because no, you're talking about the overwhelming consensus of scientists uh, in Canada and abroad, uh, and just an overwhelming majority of the population that recognizes the climate crisis as an issue uh, that's supposing this kind of project. Now, um, the the funny thing also is is um, that first of all, it's not like Trudeau shot this idea down. So yeah, now yeah. All, all the conservatives are going on, and you know, especially uh, Andrew Scheer is saying. Well, now you can see what Trudeau, what happens with Trudeau, and because blah blah blah, and it's so unfair. Uh, <laughs> he's the one who killed the program, the pro, um, the this this uh, plan. Do you think he's when the company to... actually is the one who single-handedly uh, removed their request for approval, um, saying that there were you know multiple reasons that were going into it? Do you think Trudeau is just going to like try to buy it back and try to say, well, we're <laughs> we're building it out of government money? No, I mean I think it's um, I think it's an issue of. 
projects like this not being economically viable for the companies anymore. Yeah. Uh, we've seen this, you know, throughout the stock market. Um, oil companies are making record profits, and their mm -hmm. share prices are going down. Investors, you know, big investment funds are divesting from the fossil fuel industry. Uh, the social acceptability for things like this is maybe not there anymore. Um, so I think in tech, if there was, if it was profitable for them, I think they would have pushed harder to get yeah. this project built. I think maybe looking at their own internal numbers realizing that you know the price of oil doesn't seem to be going up very high anytime soon oil sands are an extremely costly uh, method yeah. of extracting yeah. oil from the ground it's not worth it for them to to spend all this money on building a project like this when uh -huh. they're not sure if it's going to be profitable new infrastructure that is incredibly costly is not like you can't like repurpose it for anything because it's in the middle of, like it's super far up north it was really like at the, at the tip of the province uh and and yeah at the end of the day it's like tar sands bitumen it's the dirtiest oil uh available and <clears throat> not only is it incredibly uh, uh harmful to the environment it is incredibly costly like you're saying and yeah i, I mean to me it's still a vindication of capitalism as a system because if it takes 50 years for the market to adjust um, because you have like short-term incentives to report good quarterly growth and that's what's happened like enron had internal uh data on climate change in the 70s yeah right like it, it yeah, takes yeah, that absolutely. long for the market to adjust well, it's too late. The climate crisis is already happening. No, like, capitalism sure. is not. Anyways, anyways, not to get too far off track here. Um, now, the other dimension is uh, that all of this land that they were they were trying to um, build on is, of course, unceded territory, as is all of northern Alberta. Uh, all of this land, you know, they're not supposed to be able to dig deeper than the the depth of a plow. Uh, but you know, let's disregard all that. They do cite the approval of uh, 14 First Nations and Métis community leaders. Now, that is being like really like uh, piped up in, in the media. And, um, you know, while it's certainly not our place uh, from, you know, as a Montreal elites, uh, uh, youths here to denounce uh, the right, they are certainly entitled to seek um, economic uh, opportunities and things like that there's also like a very widespread opposition to this yeah. project across the nation and like you can't silence these people either and i think what I, what i find worrying about this um is on the one hand it is very good that resource and energy companies realize that they cannot build a project without first going to get the consent yeah. of, of local aboriginal leaders but uh, i kind of feel like this is the federal government um, kind of shine, giving the responsibility for economic development in indigenous communities to energy companies rather yeah. than playing a leading role in it. And that's what I find uh, worrying about this. Um, you know, and we're, they're kind of put in a position, well, yeah, you know, these communities do need more money and they do need more economic yes. opportunity. But at the same time, the only options we're offering them right now is economic opportunity which simultaneously will destroy their, exactly. their territories exactly that's the, the main point here is like there's no free and informed consent when you're in economic starvation yeah like, like you can't blame them for like taking a position that harms a more global environment and they are always going to be entitled to back out of any kind of commitment uh because yeah when you're in like 
so economically uh, um, deprived, there's just no free and informed content that can exist. Um, so somebody uh, in the Canadian media mm-hmm. has a very strong opinion about this tech frontier and, and is oh, kind yeah? of is getting a, at what we're, what we're talking about. Uh, Mr. Rex Murphy, friend of the show. Um, okay. One of, our, uh, one of our favorite columnists one of the in best. the Canadian media landscape. Um, so he wrote a piece uh, February 28th, so a couple of days ago, in, okay. uh, and you know, where else? The National Post, our uh, fantastic record, uh, con- conser- socially conservative newspaper of record in Canada. Sure, sure. Um, titled, Killing Hope Where It's Needed Most Among Aboriginal Youth. Okay. So he That's... goes. He starts off by saying, Fort McKay Métis was one of 14 indigenous groups that had signed benefit agreements with tech resources for its now-canceled mine. Um, the project had the signed support of all 14 indigenous communities in the area between Fort McMurray and Fort Chippewyan. It's disappointing. We worked hard and put a lot of effort into what we accomplished on this whole thing, Chief Alan Adam of the Athabasca Chippewyan First Nation said Sunday in an interview shortly after Tech pulled its plug on the OSANS project. The rash of blockades across the country has sidelined the impact of Tech's mine cancellation. Normally so large a project with so many jobs in prospect in a province that has been battered of course, Alberta. Um, <laughs> I'm sure they haven't been battered. They've been by battered because um, because they are a single resource economy. Exactly, uh, and that they don't have an income tax. Yeah, like that has nothing to do with it. No, it's really just. Sure, um, sure. So normally, such a large project would have occupied the nation's attention much longer than it has. So uh, once again, saying, and first of all, I think it's important to note that um, you know there's no way to know for sure, but all signs seem to indicate that the tech. Frontier mine would have been canceled regardless of whether or not there were rail blockades. Yeah, the I, rail blockades did not factor into this decision. No, I, this was an economic decision on behalf of tech. It's it seems that way. I I do think it it certainly if it had an like even if it's just as a like general atmosphere in you know the the vibe is wrong for to announce like <laughs> this kind of a a big project. Yeah, and uh, you know like. I, I want to credit them. Like, I, I think that they are out there freezing their balls uh, all week. Um, uh, and uh, it, they, they, they're showing incredible bravery and tenacity. Mm-hmm. And I think that lots of good things that are happening across the country, um, yeah. they, like, they can take credit for. And, uh, you know. Rex is not happy about it because Rex obviously does not like the blockades. Uh, so he says, still, I'd even like in the present moment to call up some of the response from our environmental care- uh, caretakers to what was a body blow to Alberta and Canada's economy. There again, kind of driving home this trope that the only way that we can have economic prosperity in this country is by, you know, mass yeah. extraction of resources when, you know, there are other ways to do it, even in the energy industry. You know, I think if we were looking at building solar farms or uh, you know, uh, wind farms up north in northern Alberta, I don't think there would be as much um, social opposition to it. I think it would be a lot more profitable uh, and it would be beneficial for the people who live in the area. So once again, just trying to, you know, make that association in his readers' minds that the only way to get economic prosperity in Canada is through the uh, oil and gas industry. Yeah, what the the real body blow to our economy will come when we have massive droughts and forest yes, fires start absolutely. to creep up in BC. Yes. And yeah, that's going to be... And flooding every spring. Yes, of course. That's going to be a body uh, blow. So he says, it reveals a contempt for those the project would have benefited 
who might have found work on it, and for those 14 indigenous communities cited above who approved of it. Holy shit. Once again, let's not forget... He's concerned about the So he's saying that the the rail blockades are in contempt of the indigenous people who would have profited off of this mine, would have benefited from it. That is some impressive gymnastics. That is very impressive. And now let's remind ourselves that how many jobs are we talking about? We're talking about 2,500 permanent jobs. Yes. That is not a large amount of money for... There's not a large, a large amount of jobs for the amount of money that had to go into this project mm-hmm. and the environmental costs that we're paying I mean, into it, getting this project it's, built. It's also to be noted that most of these jobs are, uh, it's like an enclave economy. Like it's not dissimilar to what Canada does when it uh, opens up a mine in Peru. No, or exactly. In, yeah. Or in Ecuador. Uh, and we know people who left, uh, who had opportunities, you know, when we were around like 23, 24, yeah. who took those jobs in Alberta. That's what the company the companies do. They ship in people that have the qualifications they require. Yeah. Instead of educating and absolutely, financing the people yeah, who absolutely. already live there. So and, even though like it it certainly and this have also been. brings up the other whole issue of these um, these kind of enclaves of uh, mostly white people yep. who come to work in these mines uh, in these in these oil and gas projects also bring criminality with them. Um, you know the, the a lot of problems stem from that and that's mm-hmm. one of the issues that that is coming up in BC with uh, coastal gas link that we've talked about before as well that um, you know missing and murdered indigenous women um, on the, the highway of tears in in BC, a lot of that is due to uh, white male, oil workers going into these communities and not having, you know, a lot of money and a lot of time on their hands. And um, that just is a breeding ground for criminality, for human yeah. trafficking, for prostitution. Um, so a lot of these social costs that, you know, um, are not calculated, are not um, taken into consideration when they're selling these projects to, to indigenous communities, uh, but are extremely problematic. Um, so he says, in other words, to the people you never see on TV panels who bear the real weight of that decision, those who during this downturn have been waiting for relief in the form of employment. From the saintly David Suzuki Foundation, lover of pandas and fundraising, which proudly flashed out an all caps and exclamation point victory, Tech has withdrawn its application. Uh, so he says, "Victory Tech has withdrawn its application for the Frontier San, uh, Frontier Oil Sands mine." Big thanks to uh, big thanks to each and every one of you who spoke up to say hashtag Reject Tech. Um, so obviously, you know David Suzuki being happy that uh, uh, oil sands mine not getting built is obviously evil, and he disregards yeah. uh, indigenous people. I like that he doesn't so. even need to make the argument anymore. People know when they're reading a Rex Murphy uh, yeah. piece that he just he can just say David Suzuki was happy, and oh, that's and then his people argument. just triggered right away. Best yeah. way to trigger conservatives. Yeah, uh, I can only hope that every person looking for a job shares that exultation that some driven to welfare or dependency on friends fully appreciate the wide heart and empathy of the Planet Saving Suzuki Foundation. It must be a wonderful thing if you've been waiting for work to hear a victory call from a fat foundation with its millions that another project, another chance for you, has been shelved. That is, uh, it's dark. He's saying, you know, like the, uh, the, the elite, the, the oppressive force here are the ones... Are environmentalists. To, are the environmentalists. Yes, like that's course. the one with the massive money. Not the uh, the 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 hedge funds that are funding uh, these kind of uh, these kind of projects, these kind of oil projects. Like no, the people who are it's, ma- it's, who were going to make their money here are financiers that live like mostly not in Canada, right? Yeah. Like, like most of the money that was going to be made was not going to stay in Canada. And you know what? Those people are going to make money by siphoning off some other country. Like they're yeah, not. No, absolutely. I have not they a single tear for that. And them. it's once again always still driving 
you know, home this point that the only way that we can get economic development in, in rural and northern communities yeah. is through uh, uh, with through energy projects. And that's just not true. There's many other ways of doing it. Uh, so one good development from the mess it has made is a uh, is that one one good development from the mess is that it has made it apparent that there is more than one dimension to Aboriginal concerns that the activists and protesters don't own the discussion that the short list of voices in quotation mark that's journalism speak that show up on TV panels are not the beginning and end of Native opinion on these issues. For example, I have seen an, an online video of Ellis Ross, an Aboriginal. Uh, British Columbia MLA, and even more to the point, someone who speaks with proper directness on matters affecting his people, uh, he goes to the heart of things in my views. He's not the, so so Rex Murphy is not the arbiter of which uh, native people to listen to and which not to listen no. to. Uh, the, um, like, of course, they're not a monolith. And no, and as we've said, you, yeah, there is support for this, you know, uh, if you're the, the, you know, the the chief of, a, of an Indian, an indigenous community, and somebody comes to you with a proposition to give jobs to your your community of course you're going to consider it like yeah as we we're saying pe people who have been on uh, hard hit economically and were having difficulty uh, finding good quality jobs uh, i can see how that's an attractive uh, proposition to them yeah um but i think there is indigenous solidarity throughout this country and a lot of it is based on opposition to oil sands projects and to oil extraction projects um, another funny thing is this person in question um, and actually not this one, but there has been a, one of the chiefs that they've been interviewing who has been coming mm -hmm. uh, on the air a lot for the Coastal Gathling Project in BC is actually uh, contracted by CGL. So he's actually standing to make a lot of money yeah. personally, not for his community, but personally uh, in constructing a pipeline. So Which... that's always a kind of iffy situation where, yes, you know, there are indigenous voices and indigenous people are not a monolith in this country. Um, I mean, if, if you go back to the last few episodes we did, when we speak about the differences between hereditary and elected chiefs, that what we're talking about, like, it, like, it's not necessarily like, I don't know if this person uh, himself is a is a chief. Um, but as the dynamic that we're seeing here that the government and the industry um, kind of appropriates people by like, like including them uh individually in the in the project and then kind of um uh utilizes that the link to shield themselves um and i mean this piece just keeps going on like that so he says you know there's no 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 better healing can there be than standing on your own two feet is what i hear from mr ross uh, and better than the evasive rhetoric that coats all discussions on the conditions of Aboriginal people, he says hard things that make sense. From this video, I can guarantee right now there's a 14-year-old Aboriginal kid that's taking his first drink of alcohol, he's sucking on his first joint, and he's on his way to prison. That's his roadmap. I guarantee you those activists and those politicians that are going to stop the development in your territory, they do not care about that 14-year-old kid. They could care less. They don't care if that kid commits suicide. So this is, I mean, and, and like, that's pretty dark because he's yeah. kind of right. He's kind no, of right absolutely. that, that, that Trudeau um, and that most people on Parliament Hill but it don't keeps, give a shit about it that. It keeps coming back to the point that, that we're trying to make. that The solution? That the solution is not, uh, you know, whether we like it or not, oil and gas extraction projects are always going to be a short-term solution because we know that this is not an industry that is going to be alive and well for the next 20 or 30 years. So why are we trying to you know, impose this on, on, on communities 
Uh, and why are we trying so hard to build this when we could be looking at other ways of creating sustainable jobs for the next 50 years or for the next 100 years? Yeah, and, and I mean, like, that's what Trudeau was saying no, no longer than last October was still, like, we're just trying to phase it out. We're just trying to, like, not expand it. We're just trying to, like, like, yo, it's already built. We have to deal with it. But now, he like, we're seeing that he is entirely willing to build way, way, way more of it. Yeah. Like, like he's willing to, like, really give free reign to no, whoever. No, as I said, like, it's, it's the federal government giving the responsibility or the burden of yeah. economic development in indigenous communities to oil and gas companies so that they don't have to take care of it themselves. Yeah. It's saving the federal government money, so they don't mind. Uh, at the same time, I would really like to know what Rex Murphy's position on uh, is on, uh, on Jordan's principle. You know, because if we talk about, you know, we want to empower indigenous communities, yeah. well, maybe um, giving money and, and giving, you know, legally uh, mandated compensation to families that have been hurt by the uh, social services system and the, and the aboriginal uh, system in Canada, maybe that could be a way of, of starting to empower them and planting, setting, you know, planting a seed for, for positive change in those communities. I'm willing to bet that Rex Murphy is, you know, extremely opposed to this. So, um you know, he will support, and I, as in this piece also in the National Post, there's actually no mention of of indigenous voices who are opposed to the project. So, right, we're cherry picking and the 14 exactly. indigenous exactly. Uh, leaders who approve of it. Uh, there could be hundreds of indigenous leaders who oppose it, but we're never going to hear from them because they're obviously all paid yes. protesters and uh, they're, they're loudmouth uh, environmentalists that go on the news. Yeah. Um, so it's it's very hypocritical, but what what I find worrying about this, and I, I'm starting to feel like this is something that has kind of crept into uh, Canadian consciousness, is that you know the only way that we can really have economic development is uh, through oil and gas projects. There's no other way to do it, um, and that I think is extremely depressing because first of all, as I said, the, this industry is not going to be around for the next fifty years. Um, it's a it's an industry that is going through a downturn. Uh, and just, you know, if we think of all the money, you know, how much did we pay for Trans Mountain? I think now the most recent calculations are 12, 12 billion. billion. It's going to go up to $12 billion. I think if my, you just took my... $12 billion and injected that into indigenous communities, I'm sure you could have much more positive change yeah. than building an extra, an, uh, an extra pipeline. You know? Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty clear that, that Murphy here is disingenuous, that like you're saying, if it was like really his worry was opportunity for, for indigenous community. Uh, he would not have had the career he's had so no, far exactly. the way that he's had. Um, yeah, it's pretty obvious. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, we're coming back to even conservatives have no problem spending government money when it's subsidies to oil companies, when it's helping, you know, oil companies build pipelines and build extraction projects, um, which just goes to show that we have the money. You know, like the money is there. We could give drinking water, clean drinking water to all indigenous communities tomorrow yeah. morning and not actually make it make a, it would not make a big dent or an impact on the Canadian like the budget of the Canadian government at all. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to, you know, them wanting clean drinking water, then we have an issue with it. But if they want to help us build a pipeline so oil companies can get rich, then we'll give them, you know, then we'll invest as much oil, uh, as much Canadian government money as we can into the project. So, yeah, I mean, um, the... whenever, you know, never tell them, never let anyone tell you that we don't have the money, that we don't have the means to pay for this because it's bullshit. We do. Uh, we're just not spending that money. We're spending that money on oil CEOs and we're not spending it on, on people who need clean drinking water. Yeah, tax cuts uh, for, for the wealthy. Yeah. How and, will they? Uh, maybe, maybe that's what uh, we should start asking. Well, you know, Tech Frontier, well, how, how are you going to pay for it? 
How are you gonna pay for Tech Frontier? How are you gonna pay for Trans Mountain? Yeah, you know, you I, thought, know, I thought we had to a... cut the bu- I thought we had to balance the budget, uh, rein in yeah, government oh, spending. What? Oh, but what, what happened the... to, to to fiscally conservative? Yeah, huh? what about mm. the four billion dollars mm. we give in, comp- in subsidies to oil companies every year? What about that? Uh. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot of uh, talk lately about uh, the left in the U.S. Uh, becoming too angry, and um, it's it's really part of the discourse and it's just kind of accepted. I think in Canada, when we're, like we see people on the right be angry, there's a lot more tolerance for it. Yeah. Like like we let them say some really crazy shit, really bigoted stuff, and there's a really high limit before we uh, we really put the put the brakes. Um, but the moment you start to say, well, maybe the economic opportunities for uh, people of different backgrounds and different dem- demographics, then white christians are not the same and maybe we should do something about that like people will just like clutch their pearls so hard Mm -hmm. their head is spinning and in the face of injustice you absolutely should be angry yeah and i think in canada we really should be a little bit more angry yeah and i I think because we we like haven't ended racism at all we haven't ended injustice like like you know like all of this stuff needs to happen and the climate crisis is kind of ticking like we need to make it happen fast because it doesn't, we can't just fix this with capitalism. We can't just fix this with, um, little with, with, with little system, tweaks to yeah. the system. We need to fix it in a way that the jobs go to people who are deprived, go to people who are are going to face the uh, the the big brunt of the uh, the the climate crisis themselves. Like this needs to be addressed in a in a as a social project, not as a as a conservative fiscal one. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Um, all right. So, uh, any any more thoughts on that, Sasha? Do you want to? I mean, I think we've 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 said a lot of things uh, about this already. Uh, I think we all kind of agree on it. Um, just just real quickly, I want to say that um, the uh, the Wet'suwet'en chiefs uh, have entered talks with uh, the federal government, uh, and they are expected to reach an agreement. Um, it's interesting, and uh, you know, let's let's see if uh, if they go for the uh, the proposed alternative route that uh, they had uh, suggested way before that uh, CGL uh, refused because it would cause them a few more bucks, mm-hmm. uh, or if uh, they managed to successfully just kind of uh, um, break apart the whole project. So, like, that's maybe I'm just dreaming in colors, but. I'm kind of hoping that uh, uh, by by calling the bluffs of the the chiefs, maybe uh, coastal gassing established a, a new precedent that uh, you can't fuck with them. Yeah. Um, so we'll see where that goes. In the meantime, you know, uh, pro- protests are still going on across the country. Uh, NBC in Toronto, in Montreal, in Ottawa. Uh, there's people standing strong everywhere. Um, the the Mohawk com- community in Tianinaga has been. Um, completely uh, assaulted by the RCMP, the OPP, and um, you know we we definitely stand in solidarity with them. Um, no, I mean I, I think this was kind of a test, you know, yeah. sending the OPP in there to see what would happen. Um, what they didn't expect, or what they, you know, could have expected had they been following or had they had any knowledge of of Mohawk activism, was if you try to take down one of the barricades, more of them are going to go up. And that's exactly what they saw happen. So the yeah. next day, 
Um, after that happened uh, in Ganesatagi, which is next to Oka, the um, the territory which or the, the the Mohawk nation which was involved in the Oka crisis, um, they put up a barricade themselves um, in Ganawagi on the south shore of Montreal. They um, they slowed down traffic on the Mercier Bridge, so they didn't shut down didn't the Mercier down. Bridge. Yeah, but they, they, you know, the the Mercier Bridge is only like three or four lanes wide, so they blocked all the lanes going into Montreal and drove very, very slowly and slowed and, down traffic. And they kind of just said, "This is just showing you guys what we could do if we wanted yeah. to." Yeah, and let, let's remember when they did this in the nineties, like some of them were stoned to death by yeah by Canadians. Like, yeah, like, like we fucking suck. Like there's still plenty of. No, and it's really and it's also and it's it's like there, very important, but like, they're not afraid to see how things like this are framed in the media, right? Um, uh, I do have to commend. There are great people um, at the Montreal Gazette, at La Presse. So Isabelle Ashi from La Presse, mm -hmm. um, Christopher Curtis from the Montreal Gazette, have been uh, going into to Ganawagi and Kanasataki and talking to the Mohawks and getting the other side of the story. Um, doing very important um, journalistic work on the ground. Um, so. Definitely, you know, a big props to them for, for telling the other side of the story to to really try to get to the bottom of the issue and understand what what's going on uh, and why, you know, people who don't follow in indigenous issues probably don't understand why are Mohawks here blocking the rails when this is happening in BC? They're not in BC. Like, what do they have to do with it? Yeah. So to try to understand where that solidarity comes from, uh, I think a lot of it does come from the Oka crisis. So when the Oka crisis was going on in the Montreal area, indigenous people across the country were blocking rail lines and, and protesting in solidarity. So this is kind of a way for the Mohawks to thank them for them and kind of have their back because they felt supported by, by other indigenous communities um, during the Oka crisis. But if you look at other media outlets in Canada, so the National Post, I haven't really looked at Sun Media, but I'm pretty sure I could guess what their takes are on this. Uh, and the Journal de Montréal um, and uh, everything owned by the Québécois Empire in Quebec. Um, it's the, the story there for them is not that there's indigenous solidarity. There's not that, that people are standing up for the environment. It's that people are creating traffic and people are angry because they're trade you know the rail lines are blocked and people are angry because the bridges are blocked and yeah it's very it's, it's very much focusing yeah. on how white people are inconvenienced by this more so than you know what is the reasons what are, what are the reasons behind these these protests yeah and then just to see the the hypocrisy like people in grassy and grassy narrows uh, uh still don't have uh drinkable water no so like like that's a exactly. slightly more important that was actually uh, one of the really funny things is you know this reporting coming out because these evil train blockades are preventing products you know uh, and goods to move across the country uh one of the things that they were mentioning was oh well you know it's so bad because uh, now they're having difficulty shipping the chemicals for the water treatment plants god damn it god damn it <laughs> and that's why this is so evil and you're like yeah, yeah but you do realize that there's like 56 communities in Canada uh -huh. that are still under water advisories for today. Uh, and some of them have been so for like 20 years. Like there's yeah. some children who have grown up in indigenous communities in Canada that don't know what it's like to have clean water coming out of their taps. God but I'm slightly inconvenienced by a rail blockade. Um, and I don't even know how many how much people are, are inconvenienced by it, but they're just reading in the news about how inconveniencing it is. And they're like, yeah, it's oh, true. Yeah. It is like... I, Okay, I, they're, they're, they're like one of the commuter trains on the South Shore is, is blocked, but that's about it. Yeah. Look, I, I think the, uh, the lesson to take here is that solidarity is real and powerful. 
um, that uh, it really has shifted the way the federal government approached the issue. Mm -hmm. They were definitely before uh, uh, the uh, the blockades began. They were, I think, just planning to ignore it until it went away. Yeah, and um, they were forced into action. And no, and and this is this is something in the past in other countries that has been repressed violently. It's the kind of thing that uh, in the U.S. have like. Like literally, the FBI spent time like murdering uh, people um, across different movements that were trying stuff like that. So it's always a danger. It's always a risk. Uh, it takes a lot of a lot of courage uh, to do it, but it kind of works. And I think that's yeah, as you said, I think that's the reason why the federal government didn't just send in the RCMP uh, in the first day of the yeah. rail blockades, um, is because there is you know a big section of the settler population that does support this mm -hmm. um and you know you wouldn't it would look very very bad on the federal government to send in the cops or send in the army to get rid of all these blockades um i think it's important to mention that you know these blockades are indigenous led but have support from other segments of the population and i think that might be a first as well um something that maybe wasn't as prevalent for example during the oka crisis um that there is more of a consciousness amongst settler canadians about you know indigenous issues and uh and the need to stand up um for the for these for these people's rights um and that's something that yeah as i said we kind of forced the federal government into action and in, into a into a way to to deal with you know to to resolve the the, the problem through dialogues uh and not through just sheer um power or sheer force um so i don't think they were expecting that Mm -hmm. this kind of response from from all segments of of canadian uh, society and that's you know extremely encouraging on on that yeah end. yeah absolutely all right well uh i think uh, we're gonna wrap it up yeah um the we'll uh, talk soon uh, i think next week we'll probably uh, take a little break i am um off on a little little adventure. Going I'm sure to the tropics. Look, uh, my man. Yeah, you'll, so you're going, uh, you'll hear you're going all about uh, it. to canvas for Bolsonaro, right? Uh, no, we are going to uh, try to. Um, uh, well, look, I can't talk about this uh, right now. This is parody. <laughs> this is uh, certainly uh, uh, in jest. Uh, but no, um, I, I am going for a quick visit to Brazil. Uh, we, I'm, I'm going to uh, investigate the uh, the crimes of the Bolsonaro government. Certainly. <laughs> Um, we'll we'll see. You'll you'll hear all about it. Don't okay. worry. Okay, sounds good. But uh, yeah, we'll probably see uh, see everybody in the in two weeks or a little bit less than that. Yeah. And uh, all right. Well, uh, have a good week, everyone. Thank you for listening. And yeah. we'll be uh, we'll be back very soon. All right. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. taken untold millions that they never toil to earn but without our brain and muscle not a single wheel can turn we can break their haughty power gain our freedom when we learn that the union makes us strong solidarity forever solidarity forever solidarity forever In our hands.
hands is placed a power greater than their hoarded gold, greater than the might of atoms magnified a thousandfold. We can bring to birth a new world from the ashes of the old, for the union makes us strong.